The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. to the Brandon Peters Show. I hope you enjoyed our Urban Legend special last week, but now we're turning our eyes to the ultimate deity of this 90s teen horror, Scream. Ah! Uh, that's my, yeah. Uh, before we dive in, I'd like to welcome back again, Jessica Alsman. Hello. And here we go, Gray Gory Magoon. We're doing horror. There we go. Nice. There we go. Stabsman, then? Uh, I I thought all manslaughter, but I didn't know. I was like, hmm. I was like, they didn't, yeah. It was was, was Greg's whole name, but I got areas. Yeah, Yeah, Greg Horry. Greg Horry. Gory. Gory. Oh, Greg Gory. Greg Gory. Yeah. Yes. There is a a young gal that uh, goes by Gory Corey, who is bigger in the horror community. She was like this high school girl that. Ended up writing for like Fangoria and stuff real fast because everybody jumped on the train because she wrote. I forget what article. I think she wrote about something like the craft or something, and it. Everybody's like, "Oh, we must propel this girl up." But she was really nice. She commented. Uh, she read my work and stuff, and uh, really cool stuff. I actually got her permission to link to one of her articles on something I was writing because I wasn't the biggest fan of uh, that craft remake. But I wanted people oh, to see yeah. see a perspective of someone who, a teenager that might actually, this is for me type thing. So that's why I went to there. But I didn't mind it. You didn't mind it. All maybe right. it's because I'm also desperate for just more content. So it's one of those things that no matter what, just give me something, mm-hmm. and I'll be happy. I don't remember a single thing about it. I know I watched it. I did watch it. Tell you anything about it. Now I'm trying to remember, but I really can't tell you anything about it. I think I I remember the end. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I think I kept I kept the Blu-ray and I I reviewed it. I kept the Blu-ray because I'm like, you know what? My daughter ever gets into these. Here's the sequel right for her to find rather than going not streaming anywhere. (laughs) Daddy's got you covered. Um, So Scream 1996. Before we dive into the first film. How do we all feel about the Scream franchise as a whole as we go into the first one? I mean, it's my, of horror, it's my favorite franchise of all horror, like genre, or like the horror genre. Um, Because I feel like there is no weak point in it. Like it may, it may be very over the movies, but unlike every other franchise, I feel like every movie stands on its own and doesn't feel cheapened or weakened um, even though there's questionable stuff throughout it. I think it's just really a solid group of movies where I know each of them individually and as a whole, which I can't really do with any other franchise. It's probably my favorite too, just because growing up, it came out when I was young. So it's when I Mm -hmm. was 
impressionable slash it was new to me. So we're all learning and being entertained at the same time versus like the old stuff. And it was quirky, not quirky, but uh, it just made a nod to everything horror. So as a fan watching it mm-hmm. or just the audience member, again, very young, probably watched it for the first time. It's like you were in on it with them. I don't know. It was really exciting. And now as you, you watch, it, it's just hilarious. I love it. I love it. Love it. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's certain certain movies that aren't as good, maybe. Or sometimes you're like, really? That's the killer? That's the mm-hmm. motive? That's cool. Um, but I love Sydney, And mm-hmm. I love Ghostface because you just can't get rid of him. So yeah. it's fun. And Matthew Lillard. Hello. I love, love, love him. But we can talk about that during screen. Gotcha. Yeah, I I personally like this was like the thing you cleared all plans on Friday night when the new Scream came out or something like that. You know, like I was really into the Scream movies uh, when it first came out, and then I kind of lulled. Like I'm back on a high now after the la- the most recent one. I'm like a back, but I I got to a point where I'm like, I guess if this is gone, it's gone. You know, or whatever. Like I I kind of was just like fine. Like with that, I watched a TV show um, too, oh, which. If if you turned your nose at it without watching, you're missing out on something pretty decent. I, yeah. I didn't think they did a bad. They did a pretty good job. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm currently back on the train of like, yeah, make more of these. Keep going. Let's do this with Scream Six. I'm I am hyped for. Um, I think Greg, and I, you and I had a lot of conversations with Scream Five. I was very hesitant about. Yeah. And then like after I'm like, let's do this. Let's run with these kids. So. Yeah. That's where I'm currently at with it. I was very loved, and and you know we're talking posters on the wall, Scream Two, the home video poster, um, with Liev Schreiber, not Jerry O'Connell. Uh, that that was an odd switch that they made when it went to home video, because uh, Jerry O'Connell was on the um, theatrical poster for that, and then when it came to home video, they put Liev Schreiber there. Um, Did they ever then, say why? Or do they just assume everybody knows by then? So let's put Liev. I don't know. It's a really it odd change. Going to survive? So then let's just put him on the poster? I, I don't know. Spoiler. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so I had a German poster for the first one, uh, bought soundtracks, all that stuff. So we'll get into that. But I was heavy into the screen, me and Horror Buds. And then I uh, also, some of my first movies when I was making in high school, I made a, uh, there was a Scream parody. And then... <laughs> I made a Scream 2 before Scream made a Scream. So I'm like an Italian knockoff guy from the 80s, but um, made another one. And at the time, we named it the sequel to Scream, which was a working title for Scream 2. Um, and then it ended up not being called that. But uh, And then, yeah, so I made a couple, some Scream parodies when I was in when high school as well. So I, w- I was in. I liked like the movies but let's talk about the first one from 1996 scream you're not scared are you someone has taken their love of fear one step too far uh, we know you're not the killer solving this mystery everybody's a suspect is going to be murder who are you the question is where am i The new thriller from Wes Craven, rated R. Directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Skeet Ulrich, Rose McGowan, Matthew Lillard, Jamie Kennedy, Drew Barrymore, Henry Winkler, W. Earl Brown, Leah Schreiber, Linda Blair, 
and the voice of Roger Jackson. Uh, some notable players in this that I want to highlight, in addition to the cast director and writer, is Marco Beltrami, who will do the scores from Scream 1 to 4, which will get reused in Halloween H2O. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one, Mark Irwin is the cinematographer. He is, this is the only one he does. Um, and then edited by Patrick Lossier, who um, goes on to, he also edits Halloween H2O. He was kind of the Dimension Films editor guy, but he go on to make My Bloody Valentine 3D, uh, Drive Angry. Uh, he became kind of a prolific director himself starting out editing for Wes Craven and such. Uh, I believe he edited A New Nightmare too. I can't remember that, but like he is a, yeah, he's a fun guy. Uh, him and Todd Farmer were a good pair for a bit, uh, writer-director pairing. Um, the movie focused on a year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. Uh, up top note for my listeners. Yes, last year in January, uh, Out Now with Aaron and Abe, I did a commentary for the original Scream, which you can, if you want to go back, uh, you can find that on this stream, as well as Out Now with Aaron and Abe's. And yes, I'll probably repeat things I said then, but that was a year ago and you haven't listened or maybe didn't listen. So here we are, uh, the original Scream. So when did everybody first see Scream? Uh, Greg. So um, I was literally trying to like, figure this out in my head. I know I didn't see it in theaters because I was very young, but I know it was rented at some point shortly after its release because if it came out in 96, um, I was still living at the house that my parents were in like while they were getting a divorce and then they separated. And the reason why I know that is because the house that I lived in was very similar to Casey Becker's. And we had like the, the, the door that led to the pool and the thing. And I just remember being terrified. If I turn on the patio light, I would see somebody like tied to a chair oh. um, in my backyard. So because we had the pool, we had all that going on in the childhood. Um, and then downsized shortly after that movie when they split up and all that. So I saw it at some point after it came out at home being terrified. I don't think my parents were there when I watched it for the first time because I just vividly remember not being able to walk downstairs for a very long time after that movie came out at night uh, because I just was scared that somebody was going to throw a chair through our glass doors that led to our backyard patio. So that is that I don't remember the exact dates, but I just know it had to have been around that time. Gotcha, Jessica. Uh, the first time I was too young to watch it in theater plus movie theater where I grew up was, you know, like 30 plus minutes away. So my mom and I, it was just us at home and we rented it on pay-per-view through the cable, whatever company it was. I don't know if it was like 96 or early 97, but it was way before everyone knew what happened because no one my age had really seen it. Um, and it was amazing because the whole time, like my mom is what got me into scary movies. She always watched them, but the whole time, just trying to guess who it was, was so exciting. And I remember the phone rang while we were watching it and it scared the crap out of us. Yeah. And I don't remember if we even had caller ID at that time or not, but it just like, yeah, we were both, <laughs> which is so funny now, whatever, <clears throat> back when you could, you know, use a home phone and pick it up at the same time. Anywho, it was yeah. a lot of fun. And then after that. I was the one that as soon as you could buy it, had it on VHS 
and burn that thing up at every sleepover because I'd have the girls over. They didn't never get to watch scary movies. And so that's where everyone come to my house to watch all the scary movies. And I probably memorized. I mean, yeah, played it over and over. Fell in love with Matthew Lillard. Oh, he can live me alone. That doesn't work, does it? Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> now he's married and I totally respect that. That's cool. It's cool. But, there you know, 10 year old, 11 year old Jessica was like hormones. Oh, I love him. I must print off every picture of him online now <gasps> and pull out every bop magazine picture or teen beat magazine picture tiger beat of like anyone from the scream cast like if it was nev mm-hmm. campbell was getting ripped out so they went up on the wall next to you know the dawson's creek kids or um jtt or oh my god so their photos were all over my wall and i loved rose mcgowan i like thought oh, she was same. like such a feisty character when mm-hmm. i was watching it. i mean i love sydney but tatum was my favorite and so in elementary school whenever you had like write a story or tell a story i would use tatum as my female lead and I remember in fifth grade, my teacher circled Tatum and said, not sure that's a real name. And I wanted to be like, bitch, watch Scream. Or Paper Moon starring Tatum, yeah, Tatum say, O'Neill. The actual Tatum O'Neill Oscar. Like, <laughs> I was just on. like, what do you mean it's not a real name? I'm, an, I'm a creative child. If I make up a name, I make up a name anyway, hypothetically. How dare you say that to me? Anyway. So those, that's how Scream affected me. So like you, you were in love with the guy who killed his ex-girlfriend, and his current girlfriend loved the name Tatum because he could scrunch me in a garage too, right? At Is the that... time, I wouldn't realize I would also have attachment issues and be attracted to toxic relationships. Oh, okay. okay. A la Megan Fox. <laughs> there you go. Oh. Um, so my my first, I was I was big horror dude, okay? And I was coming up, the, the 90s before Scream was a wild place in horror. Not wild, but kind of like it's considered lame there are some very big gems here and stuff but i was there for it like that was all my new horror like i got into horror like somewhere around 89 90 like in there and i was eating it up i was doing all the work and then the scream movie came out and i saw it like and it did not look like it was for me it looked like it was for everybody that picked on me at school like all these like party of five girls in it and this guy and all this and we know scary movies and i was like no. And I passed it. I, I didn't go see it until like January. It came out in December. And my mom, like people tell me, you can see screams. I'm like, I'm too cool for scream. I was I was a fucking horror hipster. Gatekeeper. Uh, and then my mom wanted to go see scream. I was like, what the? F-? I was like, I'll go with you. Sure. We'll go. You want to see? It's a horror movie. Kids like it, right? I was like, yeah, my mom would not go. So I went to go see scream and woof. It was for me. Whoops. And I was like over the moon for it. My mom was mortified by the movie for some reason. She like Scream 2 came out. I'm like, you want to go see? No. I I had my fill the first one. I was like, all was right. Was it the gore? I don't know. But she did she she said it was good, but she's like, that's enough. I don't yeah. Aww. So yeah. So for her, it all ended in that kitchen at Stu's house. Um <laughs> Technically, that's where it still ended right now. Uh, but so I was, oh, I was like, and it like charged my horror fuel even more. Like I was, and then I remember. So um, the summer, it came out for rental at the VHS stores in June of 1997 because um, it came out the same day. It was a Tuesday that 
I got my wisdom teeth pulled and I had dental surgery on another tooth in my mouth. Uh, well, I had to have I had to have my wisdom teeth pulled. I had a baby tooth that needed pulled. I had a tooth in my gum over the wrong tooth that needed moved over. End of story. My my mom went and got me scream day of, so I could have that for a while. I was sitting there being like the whole weekend. So I had scream the VHS. Um, I also discovered Jessica pay per view. So pay per view was scream my friend. Um, he got it off pay-per-view and he recorded it through the night. The second recording of it, of like three, he goes, dude, you got to come see this. I'm like, what? And he's like, there's like, it's Scream, but like Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson are like talking over it. They're like talking. It's like the first time I ever experienced a film commentary and they put those on pay-per-view. So like in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., it caught a commentary of them with it so we had the copy so we made a copy of it for me so i had the commentary and then in suncoast they sold a version of scream that was two vhs's and the second one was a commentary so you could get a two things i ordered it special edition so i get the widescreen edition on vhs so i I got that one Uh, i had to go to suncoast for that so yes so scream yeah so scream introduced me to commentaries um for films before DVD. They were a laser disc thing, but I, my parents didn't buy laser disc. I wanted it. They're like, eh, I ain't buying that. So, um, yeah. Even though I buy them now for artwork, but <laughs> I don't I still don't have a player. So, so yeah, that was it. Was Scream, and I was yeah for the next the sequel. I was all, all in, way to go, um, with everything. But yeah, so that I was originally had my Dukes up with Scream, and won me over. Um, a little bit like the most recent one. Um, but yeah, so uh, there's that. Um, I also want to talk about before the poster for this movie. It started a trend as well. Oh, yeah. The floating heads <laughs> became a thing because of Scream. Not the first poster. The first poster was just the Drew Barrymore face. It was the, the um, hey, we're doing really well. Like, we're making a second marketing push thing um with all the floating heads with it do you remember the there had drew barrymore prominently yeah. on it and and everybody the funny thing was skeet Ulrich had like a goatee on it oh if you look it up look at the screen poster he's yeah, got no, he's got he's got facial hair on it Ugh, that man is so uncomfortably attractive the more i watch scream the more i watch <laughs> I don't think I realized how attractive he was when I first watched the movie. Because it was everybody's like, he looks like Johnny Depp. He looks like Johnny Depp. Did he look yeah. like Johnny Depp? He looks like Johnny Depp. He looks like Johnny Depp. So much more attractive than Johnny Depp to me. He's even introduced similarly to Johnny Depp as Johnny Depp was in Nightmare on Elm Street going into Nancy's room through the window. Here he is at Sydney's going through the window. It's like they know what they're doing. It's huh? kind of like they know what I they're like doing. It. Um, oh, he does have the goatee. So. And his hair is much longer. Yeah. Anecdote to that. My senior year of high school, I was in Hello, Dolly. That was our spring musical. And my senior, my last one. And um, I played Barnaby Tucker, the third male lead in it. Um, I put on my Sunday clothes. And uh, so when you walk into our auditorium at our school, we had like a wall of like the seniors because, you know, seniors graduating and stuff. 
And uh, so Barnaby Tucker, I had to like, I had a, like a little goatee. I had a goatee or whatever, and I had to be clean cut for the role because I, the guy playing Cornelius looked noticeably younger than me, me. But I had to like try to make myself look younger. But I had my goatee, like you shave, and I'm like, no, because I wanted the senior wall where they took that picture to have me like that because I wanted to look like Skeet Ulrich on the <laughs> screen poster where it's like he doesn't look like that in the movie. He was, like I didn't want to look like I wanted to look like two different people, and it was because of that scream poster I did that. It's a very I don't think deep, I ever even questioned it. The, it's like, like a deep cut movie branded. poster. Yeah, that's so funny though. You're like I'm gonna look like Skeet. He was that's cool. Skeet. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess we can. I guess we can talk about the movie itself. Um, one question. We know it's one of the very best, if not the best, horror movie of the '90s, but. Is it one of the is it one of the best teen movies of the nineties or the best teen movie of the nineties? Well, you're going up against She's All That. Can't hardly wait. Ten things I hate about you, unless that was two. Clueless. 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 Yes. Clueless. Sorry, that's my female. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like you go, yeah, America Pie. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Now but, and then, that was nice. Um. If you, I, I mean, I would say it's up there with Clueless, but like mm-hmm. in the genre wise, like is when I think '90s teen movie, I immediately jump to Clueless because I don't know. You're thinking more I, comedies, right? But yeah. Scream counts. Like Scream is comedy. Oh, Scream it is. Is horror like, and it's got that young cast and everything. Like it fits the bill. It, and they're just so cool. Like Scream made horror cool. I feel like again because I again I was young when it came out. I was in elementary mm-hmm. school when it came out, and I know it was talked about when I was in elementary school. But I my my uh, like being familiar with horror before Scream, I watched like the Tales of the Crypt series, mm-hmm. which I was allowed to watch, yep. and I don't really remember much else about horror before I watched Scream because I didn't really care about mm-hmm. it. Um, and then I saw Scream and then I was like, what is this magical thing that yeah. I, like? it welcomed me into? But then other movies, other horror movies didn't really at the time, like satisfy that like itch that Scream gave to me or yeah. like brought me to because I guess it did have that teen element that I that I guess 80s horror did, though, in a different well, sort of way. They use recognizable faces like yeah. actual stars of shows. The 80s ones were using like people who were like guest starring on Growing Pains or something. They weren't like the actual people. Um, They were like, you know, like, well, maybe they'll get a sitcom one of these days, but they can come over here and be on Friday the 13th part three right now or, you know. (laughs) But it was teens, though. Like, they were like, but this felt like more organic and more natural. Like, I want to be this group of friends. Like, I want to be the one to, like, tell people to watch out. Mm -hmm. So, I I, I don't know. Well, I think Williamson's up there with some of the important writers that changed the game in the night. Like he's with he's there with Tarantino, Kevin Smith, Richard Linklater, Joss Whedon, and there's Kevin Williamson. They all people started talking differently in movies because of these guys in the nineties. Yeah. Um I will and, say Dawson's Creek though, a little too wordy for my elementary school behind. I was like, Why are <laughs> they talking so fast and using such big words? I don't even know half the time what they're talking about. But I tried to keep up with it. Gotcha. Yeah. Until I got older. But yeah, just speaking of Kevin. But no, I think it is kind of a teen movie now that you think mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, it is. Just, there's not, it just takes away the romance. Instead of romance, it's horror. But then you still have that comedy. Otherwise, I feel like it's usually a rom com Well, you got her, her, you got Sydney's worrying about losing her virginity to yeah. Billy. And you've got, yeah. 
That's American Pie right there. Like, I mean, yeah, American yeah. Pie is all about virginity, and so is Scream until he starts to kill people. Yeah. So, I mean, in reality, it's kind of, it really is more realistic than a lot of teen movies, although to the extreme of murder, but I guess just a lot of people really have bad times with their first relationship. And I mean, highlights that just in the ultimate way of he's trying to kill you. Right. And Williamson's a big John Hughes guy. Like he's a big fan, like this big inspiration. So he wanted to do like the breakfast club meets Halloween. He wanted, and then he'd go on to do like the breakfast club meets invasion of the body snatchers. When he does the faculty, he's got Dawson's Creek is his breakfast club. 90210. Like everything he did does has some sort of John Hughes, Yep. and that's what's kind of helping he's like why can't these kids let's let's take those movies write those first and then add horror to it later maybe maybe that helps uh with what he's with what he's doing yeah the i mean everything felt natural for the kid like what sydney was going through and the way she was handling it mm-hmm. felt natural of like what a teenage girl would be like to flash her boobs the way she did or like something like that like it was coy it was cute it was it, it felt like what a teenager would do mm-hmm. uh, maybe not as not as um clever like in real life it would be a little bit messier like they pulled it off like mm-hmm. more, more structured but i think i think the the sentiment was there and genuine and um the cast believed what they were doing but they also looked like they were having fun it's one of those rare oh, yeah. movies you can watch and you're like everybody's just having a great time here like they all want to be here and they all probably are really friends and yeah so no i that, yeah that 1000 yeah definitely so yeah there's that um so um yeah i don't know where we're going to break new ground on um screamed conversations that have been had here but um well can i ask you a question brandon yeah you have probably watched the commentary version a few times is there anything that stands out the most that you learned um watching the commentary with them because I have never uh, seen the commentary. Well, I'll say this: Kevin, uh, not Kevin, uh, but Wes Craven's one of the um, best commentary directors you can find, and all his movies sound like they are the best sets to be on. Like everybody sounds like they're family friends. Um, the one commentary of his I've listened to over and over is Red Eye because I worked on that DVD, and I never got tired of listening to his commentary on that. Just oh. he's just because he was a. Uh, a professor first so he's got this astute nature to him um and is able to present and be he's very sympathetic to the student that type of thing um i did have a i have a friend who um his parents had a meeting about a book publishing um with wes craven and he told them about it and they're like he's like wait what's what's craven He's like that when they showed a picture, and he's like, "Yeah, that's what's that's the the horror." Like, oh, he didn't come off as that type of guy. He seemed like like a teacher or something. Like, yeah, because he <laughs> he is. They had no idea that they were that was the same Wes Craven that made like Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream and all this stuff. But um, this commentary, they point out some little things. Um, I haven't listened to it in ages, uh, so I can't remember. I do remember one of the things I think they pointed out that um, was one of their hints to the killers was in the principal Hembry scene where he, it's after the guys pray, the guy plays the prank on Sydney, like running through the halls and he unmasked and he's got two boys there that is telling you what's going to happen at the end oh. that they put in there and like for 
just to have fun, but nobody like really picked up on that. But it was like it was supposed to be like, look, that's what's going to be at the end. Um, two guys like that. So that was one. I think that was in the commentary. Um, but yeah, no, he's just lots of fun stuff. He points out himself playing Fred the janitor. He's like, hey, Fred. Um, but yeah, there's stuff like that that's fun. Like Linda Blair's the random reporter. Um, but yeah, and I, every time, so every time I go back to the original Scream, Dewey just climbs the ranks of greatness because this is like a genius comedic performance. But I remember the first time I saw this movie, it's like, I don't know how I trust this guy. <laughs> but it's all nerves. That's all it is. Like he's nervous to be around Courtney Cox or Gail Weathers. He's nervous to be, but it comes off like, but no. So when you can appreciate Dewey um, as the goofball, like the comedic genius, like this last time I picked this time, I, I watched it before. Um, I picked up on a funny thing here uh, with Dewey where uh, Linda Blair, when Sydney goes back to school the morning after she's attacked, Linda Blair comes right out after she gets out of the car. She's like, she's like, um, what are you going to do? People need to know. Da, 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 da. And, and I heard Dewey off screen because he comes push her off. He's like, she's just trying to get herself an education. <laughs> <laughs> Or something like that. I was like, oh gosh, that's so silly. That I wonder how so much like silly. David Arquette, if he ad libbed it all, or if his was just like you gave him the lines and he could do it in like mm-hmm. one to two takes because he knew he could just play that goofball, like nervous, didn't understand, but trying to pretend like he understands, uh, like that vibe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's the genius scene, like when he meets privately with the sheriff and he's smoking a cigarette and Debbie's licking an ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, yeah, yeah, and and they're, that's the way they're trying to make the sheriff a suspect by showing his boots because everybody's got those boots. Everybody's got the boots. Everybody's got the boots. Um, did the commentaries? I forgot now, so I'm wondering if you picked up on it. Um, there's only one scene that is like questionable on like because I've watched so many videos of like which killer did which kill type of thing. Oh yeah, and like where the killers would be, but there is that. That quick moment before the party, when they're at the the before the curfew sets into effect, and they're at like the the mini mart or whatever it is, and then you get like glimpses of the killer. Like I just feel like that just doesn't. It's nonsense. It's a, just, yeah. It's like wh- why would he be out in the costume? <laughs> yeah, that that to me, there's that. That's the only thing about the movie that I just kind of question of. Was there something there that might have been cut or was there something bigger to it? Mm-hmm. Or like, why was that put in there? Because I feel like it was too obvious and it just went against. I mean, I would well, assume it would be Stu who would have done it because Stu would be like, I'm out of the day job. Like, I just yeah. feel like his character would be kind of having fun with it. But it just. I think so to be the uh, doyalist of the situation. Okay. It's because this movie goes for a very long time with nobody getting killed. So that uh, adds to stuff. So, well, is that when Henry Winkler would have got killed? He gets get he gets he he does get killed in they there. Find him. But between the opening kill to the there's a Sydney attack, mm-hmm. but nobody dies, and then right. Henry Winkler gets killed, and then for the longest time nobody else dies. Right. So they add these things of like being watched in the bushes and mm-hmm. um in the convenience store and then like they add you know there's sydney the bathroom scene which is yeah maybe it's probably the weakest moment in the entire film is that like who what okay 
Oh, but, is that when she also hears people talking about her bubble boy, bubble butt boyfriend Billy? Yes. I can't even say that. Yeah, and he's bubble butt boyfriend Billy. Yeah. So there, I mean, yeah, there's that. I mean, it's it's a movie. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Um, it earns everything it does. Honestly. I remember being scared the first time. So oh yeah, it's, yeah. You never know who it's gonna be. You think you know, and then you're like, well, mm-hmm. he was there. Never once did I ever think there were two killers. Never thought it possible until it happened. Um, is For- this the first horror movie or a slasher where it had two killers? Nope. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it? not like, but like done this way. No. Uh, or- there's um. Uh, just before Dawn had two kids, that was the surprise of that, is that there were two of them. Um, sorry if anybody hasn't seen just before Dawn. Um, there's a, there's a couple okay. in the 80s that had two killers. Um, okay. So it wasn't the first, um, but it certainly, of, of its, it certainly is the most memorable, the first big, because a, a lot of the slashers you get into that, they're independent productions. Maybe a studio put it out in a region or something like that. So, like widespread audience wise, this one is like the first. I yeah, would say. and a lot of my friends like love Scream, but they never watched Friday the Thirteenth or any of those eighty mm-hmm. slashers. So to like, well, most people was like, oh, this is this is brand new. I mean, they knew uh-huh. of you know your Jason, but just even like watching, gosh, even taking that quiz the first time with my mom, we're mm-hmm. like, it's Jason. We're like, oh, son of a gun. It wasn't Jason, was it? It was his mom. Well, we're his mom. And the fifth one wasn't Jason either. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's there's that. Um, but, you know, it's it's certainly the one, yeah, that you can, the one that hit the best or made, that people saw. <laughs> you can yeah. Say. yeah. So, I mean, there, yeah, with that. But, um, I mean, it's just interesting that you watch this movie and the more times I've watched it and I actually forgot to say, I did finally get to see it in the theaters last year because it was oh, okay. for the 25th anniversary of it. So that so I did get to have a theatrical experience with it all these years later mm-hmm. um, last year. And and it was just as good on the big screen. It still holds up to me, although, yes, it's dated with the phones and other things. But I watched this movie, obviously, knowing very well who the killers are mm-hmm. and what's going to happen and it's so obvious but then we're still not going it's obvious while we're watching it like that first time you don't really think it's very obvious but then you rewatch it and you're like it they're literally basically telling you they're the killers the whole movie almost who, yeah who did you think when you first saw it that did you have any guesses I didn't think it would have. I didn't think there would be two, but I, I, I wanted to think it was the boyfriend. I really did want to think it was Skeet, um, because I just felt like. But then I was like, no, that's too obvious. So I did believe it was him, but I also thought it had to have been somebody older for some reason. I didn't mm. think it would have been one of that friend groups doing it. Yeah, I, I when I first saw, it, I thought it was Matthew Lillard. I was half oh, wow. right. You I was, were I was really? half right. I never th- knew two people would do it, but I figured he was randomly gone and like his, he didn't fit with time. Like he was randomly showing up and he left for a chunk of the film. And I'm like, what happened to that guy? And then he shows up at a locker later on when the, the prank scene happens. And I'm like, yeah, he hasn't been here for, they, they keep <laughs> like, he makes it, they, they make like, he makes himself after their introductory scenes, 
he's not there a lot, but they he likes to make himself known when he is. So you think yeah. he, they kind of think he's there, but like I kind of I kind it wasn't like a I know it's him, but I'm like I think that might be it, and and yeah, and the way he played when him and Randy were outside, I was like oh yeah, because he was way trying to sell it harder, but yeah, I was half right because I was like Billy, I'm like man, it's way too. I thought like. Yeah. This guy's way too obvious, right? Like right. way too. Like, what I said, and then I thought he died. Like I really thought that was. I was like, oh, that's genius. Like right when, right um, when he, it was him, and mm-hmm. then you, you kill him, and then it's not. But like that's the other thing is Stu though. When you rewatch it, I mean, his performance is perfection. Um, but he's so unhinged. Yeah, like that character. But then I sat there and said, hold on, I don't want to judge too quickly because I feel like. I'm that guy in high school. Like yeah. I don't want people to think that I would be like, what's so scary? People are not like, I don't want to be like, I, I could be very loud and weird. So like the scene in the, um in the video rental place when Stu's, Oh, that scene is so well done. Um, that's, when, that's a giveaway. Like we should have yeah. got it from right there, but we don't, but we don't. And that's the thing is like, I feel like, in that situation, I would have been the stew in high school in that video scene talking to Randy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I would have talked to Randy. Um, <laughs> so then I was like, I don't want him to be the killer because then I don't want to be, like, potentially viewed as a killer <laughs> just because I'm quirky. Right. Um, but, like, not as unhinged. Well, depends on the day, I guess. But, like... <laughs> I don't know. So, it, again, both killers were kind of obvious that there was no one else that it could have been unless you didn't see them the whole movie. Right. And it was like a surprise at the end. Yeah. could never find his dad, her dad. So it's like, Oh, and then they don't really bring it up too much except that they were were out. He's prime suspects. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Which that actually made sense for the movie. Like, okay, the dad killing off teens like that, but then why kill off the principal? So that kind of shifted it to when the principal was killed you kind of go, all right, this, I doubt this is an adult doing this now. Like mm-hmm. why would an adult go after the principal? Um, but it's still like a fun ride to go on. So well, I'll tell you what, one of the things I didn't notice till like some many years, years ago, that's one of the best things ever is when the very opening, um, not the opening scene, but the first, it was Sydney in her room and Skeet Ulrich comes in the window, the song playing is a slow acoustic cover of Don't Fear the Reaper by Gus Black. Yeah. It not only continues the Halloween homage, but it foreshadows Billy Loomis as the killer. Like, Gosh. it's right there, but it sounds so sweet. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's Don't Fear the Reaper. Wait a minute. <laughs> like, But it's there. It's so subtle, but it's genius. Like, And he's creeping on there. It like, It's brilliant. It's like, Gosh. there's so many touches of genius in this movie. Like, it's insane. Mm. The little eggs. Close call. Yeah. And that's why I fell down that rabbit hole of watching these videos because after the fact, when you start making those connections and you pick out those little clues, mm-hmm. you know a lot of that has to be intentional and how many people are going to pick up on it in the moment. And then you appreciate the movie so right. much more when you know how much thought genuinely went into it. Right. Where a lot of horror movies, and that is the thing about horror movies, they're typically a lot of teen horror movies, especially, well, horror movies in general and a lot of teen ones, they're made for fairly inexpensive, like they're fairly inexpensive to make. Mm-hmm. They're quick to make. And they're, you well, nowadays, and probably thanks to Scream, 
they're going to bring in an audience because people just mm-hmm. want the content to do it. I don't know how much that was before Scream, but now I'm like, oh, it's a teen, like the horror movie, low budget thing. I'll watch it just because I, I feel like I need that fix until I have quality again. So it was a risk. Um, this movie, like Weinstein's went on, it was called Scary Movie at the time. And the script was okay. They had Wes Craven. Wes Craven was like, not at his high point here. Um, he had just had uh, Wes Craven's new Nightmare bombed. I can't remember if Vampire in Brooklyn was before this or after. And the dailies, the Weinsteins were hating. The, like, they were like, what? And Patrick Lussier saved Wes Craven's job. He cut together the opening scene of the film. And they were like, oh, fuck, keep making this. And then Harvey, or not Harvey Weinstein, it was the other Weinstein, Bob, changed, made them change the movie to scream, the title to Scream. So that was that was his contribution, um, but it also didn't do very well opening weekend, and then had like to put it in modern terms, it was like the greatest showman of its time. It built, it came back, it became this surprise huge hit um, as the weeks went on, and the word of mouth kept going. So like, yeah, it wasn't. It could it almost wasn't like it was almost a disaster. Um, as good as people would have said, like it, the opening weekend was like, well, I think we're done. That's it. It was one of those openings, and then, whoosh, boom, huge hit. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's a quality, there's a thoughtfulness. It's because there's a guy who like gave a shit about these things. Um, and and it was a. It wasn't like it wasn't a higher script where he had to flip it around. It was one of these dream projects he was working on that got picked up. So he had been working at it and at it and at it to to have his way. Um, and unfortunately, even as much money as these make, the Weinstein's don't believe in his shit. Like it's it's insane uh, where it goes. Like because I can you can tell uh, that the Williamson touches because he knows what he's doing. Like the opening here to this one is when a stranger calls like that's what it's kind of picking Mm -hmm. off of there'll be another one in the next one and then scream three what the fuck are you doing like what what horror movie is this you know uh when we get there scream four there's a there's a hodgepodge of the evil of scream three creeping into scream four uh with stuff and we'll get there with that and then obviously the new one is an homage back to this one so that makes sense with what they're doing but this one and the second one clearly there's a love letter to horror in there that's not going to be present after them as much. But um, yeah, so this is why maybe he had the time. Whereas like your, I know you did last summers. Don't urban legends. Don't felt like not to say that those aren't quality projects, but there's clearly Kevin Williamson lacking from the things that aren't Kevin Williamson at this time. Cause the faculty's a really good one yeah. uh, as well. Um, but there seems to be more, I don't know if there's more care, but there's more money getting thrown at these. But yeah, you're right, Greg. They they, they try to flip these around really fast, like tight and, shooting and, schedules and and this one. You that, I think that's why Scream holds up because there is that level of detail in every aspect of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which which most horror movies don't actually get that treatment. Mm-hmm. And this does, as you pointed out, like just the subtle nods to the music and the subtle nods to the the history of horror. There's an appreciation there. Like you can't break the rule. Like what's the, the whole thing about like people in writing and all that? Like you can't break the rules unless you know the rules type of thing. Yeah. And very clear. Well, I mean, and he actually made a full point through Randy. Yes. Said, there are rules. <laughs> 
and then he breaks them. Like that's the right. thing is he he like hits you over the head with like the obvious, but then creates a world where you just want to be a part of it, which is kind of weird to say when you're going, this is a world where people are dying left and right, but you want to be a part of this world. And they're all like, woohoo! I mean, well, and you'll get to that in Scream 2, where, um, I mean, that opening scene, like, well, we're not there yet, so I'll I'll wait (laughs) about Scream 2 on that opening scene, which I love, but it's weird. When you really think about it, it's weird. Um, But yeah, no, I think there's just the thoughtfulness of it. And you even forgive the fact that like Tatum dies in the doggy door in the garage door, which couldn't happen. It's been disproven. Like it's like the whole Titanic thing. Like could Jack fit on the door? Like he could have lived or he could have whatever would happen. This one, could she have gotten crushed in the garage door? No, actually she couldn't have. But you forgive it because it's so fun. And um, and you knew she was going to die. So I'm glad they gave made it more interesting than just the typical like slice of dice and call it a day. It was a better picture to leave her in the in the driveway that people ended up seeing. But for the longest time, I struggled with understanding the the blueprint of that house and wondering why the front door, I guess it's just where I grew up because garage doors are always very close to the front door of a house. So I'm wondering how no one saw her body hanging there for so long because the garage is like on the other side of the house compared to where the front door is. If he was in a neighborhood, it'd be forgivable because there are neighborhoods, like my parents lived in a neighborhood where the houses, when they were built, they had to have the garage facing to the side and away from the front door or something like that. But he's not in a neighborhood. He's out wherever. I I was unfamiliar with that. Like that was a new concept for me because where I grew up and everything at the time, it was always just like a line of houses and you had like your garage and you had your front door right next to it and it all lined up. So for the longest time, I just didn't understand how this house was built and why the garage would be on the side. Right. So, um, and I, and, and until I watched, until I had it on DVD and I rewatched it a few times, I actually would, um, pause the movie when it did aerial shots of the house just so i could kind of <laughs> get a better understanding to go like this is a real place like i know they're using an act and you can um and again before scream the new one comes out they are doing a uh stay in the scream house airbnb oh wow eyes again which they did last year and they're doing it again this year so um the house is a real fully functional house and it just, for me, it has a weird layout that the garage is on the side that no one would notice somebody hanging that, there. When that probably that. went into their, you know, like, oh, we could do something with the garage because no one could see it coming out. Well, there's a curfew. No one's out and about, maybe. And they're playing music so loud. They're drunk. No one mm-hmm. notices until, you know, they notice. But heck, I just I remember growing up, even as a kid, looking at every doggy door thinking, can I fit through that? <laughs> I already think I'm too big. I literally thought I was too big. Pretty much since, yeah, what, 10 or 11? I mm-hmm. was like, no woman can get through that. How does she think she could get through that? But yeah. Who is the first one to discover Tatum's body? Sydney. They, well, I thought it was Sydney. I was just going to mm-hmm. say. Because she, um, she jumps off the roof into the boat, yes. lands, looks up, and is like, ah! That's what I didn't know if there was another. Well, you know, the other thing that always makes me laugh about this movie, and it explains a lot, too, about, like, Dewey, is, like, that's Dewey's sister. Yeah. So it's just, and it explains why Dewey's the way he is with women because Tatum is such a strong personality. Yeah. So I just imagine like Dewey just kind of being dominated by his little sister, like growing up that made him just kind of 
very intimidated and uncomfortable around women because she really puts him in his place a lot of the times and like kind of belittles him. But yeah, it's still... like he only became a cop so his sister would have to listen to him. Exactly. Like, <laughs> Which I think is why I thought cute. he was, I thought he did it. Like he you treat me like suspect. I'm a man of the law. Yeah. Hello. Uh, it's, just, it's a very cute dynamic, despite the fact that it's kind of toxic when you think about it. Their relationship is not very good, but it's it, but they pull it off in a in a very sibling bickery mm. kind of loving way, um, which. It is really sad that Dewey does have to do with it, but I feel like Tatum's death kind of, we don't really like, I don't feel like Dewey struggles with Tatum's death too much later on. Like, I don't think it really resonates as much as it would um, later on in movies, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Like, it's acknowledged, but like. Well, I think he he instantly moved to Sydney to replace that. That's kind of what I I get. We missed some of the instant aftermath, but he had Gail, a newfound relationship with Gail at the time, protecting, like, looking after Sydney. Like, that's what he, his duty or whatever. Um, Yeah, Sydney did become kind of the, I guess that really was, that's true. That is his coping mechanism was basically (laughs) channeling his energy on Sydney. And that made him now the, like, a key player. So yeah, had Tatum not have died, then Dewey would not have been a key player because Sydney wouldn't have had her support team. Which so. I, I do agree. I was suspicious of Dewey, Jessica, when I first saw because I'm like, oh, he's going to be that guy that like straightens up and it's like, I did it. You know, like I like the goofy he, thing. He was, was going to solve the case. He was going to come out and be this big hero. People would respect him after because he conveniently was holding the mask. Yeah. He was like, ah, but everyone's like, ah, oh, maybe it's Dewey. Or by everyone, I mean. But, but you're watching back, you're like, oh, he's just good. Like, he's just goofy. Like, Dewey, what's she doing here? She's with me. Like, yeah. I was 24 um, for a whole year. Isn't that what they did? Um, isn't that what they did with a uh, scary movie, though? The spoof one of it? Like, wasn't the Dewey actually really cool by the end of it? Yeah. No, oh, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Well, it was Officer the Doofy. They did yeah. a parody of um, uh, what's the the movie? Um, Kevin Spacey won the Oscar for it. Yes. Um, uh, uh, Usual Suspects. Usual or, no. Suspects. That's yeah, what yeah. they were. They were doing a parody of that. For the deputy, deputy doofy. Yeah, oh, but yeah, like, but, I'm cleaning my room. That's <laughs> really, I'm, I'm sorry, that's probably really impolite, but yeah. yeah. But at the end of the movie, he like was cool. Like they, yeah. like, mm-hmm. it was all an act. So, so scary movie picked up on that. So yeah. I, like, um, the idea that Dewey was just doing an act. But I'm glad. I'm really glad though that Dewey was who he said he was mm-hmm. i i I, yeah. I didn't i didn't want to like a bait and switch type of thing where do like dewey being all like cute and lovable and dorky turns out to be just an act but i don't think but i but honestly though given that his sister was tatum and like sydney knew the family that well it wouldn't have worked because that means he would have been doing this his whole life and that means the cool version of him would have been the act in the end, then being like, I'm going to snap out of this. And I've been just like practicing being cool for so long by watching my sister's <laughs> friend. And then, so like, I mean, like he like turns into like, he like center parts his hair and he's like, I'm going to be the new ski Ulrich Billy. Like, <laughs> like I'm the cool guy now. So, I mean, that could have, I mean, but then that's kind of like, um, why well, I, I mean, spoilers to other movies, like um, what kind of like what Valentine's day or Valentine's um, that movie did. Mm-hmm. Um, where you have a dorky who is cool yeah. in a different sort of way. So I don't know, but I appreciate that. I, I just, I love all the characters in this movie well, a lot. And I guess 
watching it this time, I had this like Gail Weathers. So Sydney, we're all like, oh, Sydney, she's our favorite ship, but she doesn't like horror movies. The funny thing is, she calls them dumb, but yet falls for all the tropes she makes fun of them for. You know, runs up the stairs. She is convinced about her cotton weary thing, and Gail's a bitch. Da da. Gail is actually a seeker of justice in this one. Like Gail's right. Gail yeah. is on the money, and Sydney like treats her. She punches her. She's like, like, and Gail only doesn't like Sydney because Sydney's wrong. Yeah, in her eyes, and and it's crazy that this dichotomy where it. We have to reverse it in the next one where she kind of has a bit of the the bug, the person she's accused of being in this one. But I was watching this time like, yeah, Gail's right about everything and she's convicted and like she wants to she does have uh that point with her cameraman where she's like he's like, Do you realize an innocent man? He's like, Oh my gosh, she goes, Do you know what that could do for my ratings? Or yeah. whatever. It's like so there is a bit of a, that bug there, but she's actually seeking the actual. She's actually got the truth. the The lying journalist is the truthful one, and Sydney is one hundred percent convinced on a lie. Her um, her conviction I, is to a lie. This might be controversial, but I don't know. Now that I've seen everything so much, and I I love Sydney. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I do think to me, like overall, and even rewatching the first one and the second one and all of them. Gail really is the more dynamic, interesting character um, just because of like the journey that she goes on, um, her inability to admit when she's wrong. But then when she does admit, like when she is open to changing and she goes through such a journey, Sydney, you just have to like feel bad for because she's getting so much shit thrown at her all the time that Mm -hmm. like it's hard to like sit there and say, well, we like Gail Moore. It's like, well, Gail's not really struggling the same way that Sydney is. But as a character, I think Gail is just a stronger character. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sydney's just badass in the way that she's been, you know, having her life threatened for so many years and still manages to wake up and keep going. Yeah. Um, but you see more of an evolution with Gail, I think, the way they, they handle they- it. And- They've given Gail more back interesting background stuff that's happened between movies than any of the other returning characters. Like it's like, True. where is she at now between these? Oh, and now she, like interesting stuffs happen. Who's she become? Is she going to be this trustworthy? Per- like there's always a question of like who we get in here for the first act of the movie before Gail goes. Okay, guys, let's right. team up. You know, like that's like who are we getting here a lot of the time? But. Um, in the yeah, first no. movie, is the timeline correct that it's the one year anniversary yep. since her mom's brutal murder, yep. which means that not only did we already since have Roman a trial, Bridger left Woodsboro, since the uh, <laughs> there was a court, a trial, and a book already came out all within one year mm. because the murder happened, yeah. had to go to court, had to go yeah. to trial. Oh, yeah, yeah, and she wrote the book. Oh, he was awaiting trial, he came. hadn't been conv- he hadn't had trial yet, he was awaiting okay. trial, yeah. Okay. Or or something. Because I or, thought she was in trial. You you said no. You saw she should. Yeah. Someone leaving his coat, or someone she, leaving wearing his coat. Yeah. You t- no. You testified. Yeah. So no, she did testify. But maybe. But anyway, it's just like that's a lot in one year. Also, how does a high schooler get away with murder so easy that he was able to frame one person? Unless it's just because of Sydney. It's the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. She was I'm no shit. This. The nineties. The nineties was trial weird, city. If you had a yeah. trial, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was the the 90s. You got away with a lot, I feel like it took, but trials took a long time. So, yeah, I guess that is a weird thing. I mean, but in movies, 
and TV, court is never really, even though like aspects can be realistic, mm-hmm. they they expedite that process so quickly. That yeah, is sense. never true in real life um, because they would need to. So I guess I, I'm, I'm more forgiving of the fact that he was able to frame somebody, especially in the 90s. Um, and I think just for the sake of a movie, they expedited it. But in reality, mm-hmm. it probably would have been like the three-year anniversary right. of the death before there was actually some right. resolve. I never it's thought of it. That's one thing of questioning reality I've never thought of with this before. Well, that was yeah. Stu involved in the beginning to kill her mom? Yes. Or is it only... Yeah. Yep, yep, Stu is involved. Okay. I still Be- don't understand why Stu got involved except peer pressure. Scapegoat. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, true. But, like, why did he really want to kill people? And I guess they talk about that in the very beginning when they're like, didn't Casey break up with you? And she's mm-hmm. like, no, nah, I broke up with her. Yeah. Yeah. But I kind of like that about, again, with Stu, that he was kind of unhinged and he was a perceptive to um, Billy's uh, mastermind mm-hmm. ways. Because that's believable. Like there are people. I mean, there are people who idolize serial killers in real life who probably mm-hmm. would do their bidding if they did it. So, like Stu is a genuinely believable character, even if his motive was peer pressure. Because peer pressure <laughs> is a legitimate motive. That's like, true. It is one, especially for teenagers. Like, do well, drugs, well, kill that person. Okay. Like, <laughs> have you have you ever seen uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? Yes. It's kind of like that. So. It's a uh, Michael Rooker. This was his breakout role. Was he plays this serial killer guy who's like a janitor at places, and he moves in with this guy, and the guy like catches him doing it or something. Well, I haven't seen it in years, but like he ends up like wanting to hop on board and kill people with him. Hmm. Um, they do it together um, for a bit, um, but so, so there's st- that. So Stu's. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and blame Stu's parents for why he wanted to jump on board. Because if there's a curfew and a murder going on around town, why didn't his parents come home? Where the heck are all the parents? That's yeah, that's mm-hmm. true with most teen movies, though. Let's just be real. Like, parents yeah. don't. Especially TV nowadays and, like, TV shows. Like, parents just don't exist in things. <laughs> right. Which, to be fair, the Scream TV show... Kind of like had element, I think, because they had more time to expand on it. Mm-hmm. You got to know people's parents a little bit well, better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in movies, you don't really have that luxury because people will be annoyed. And do you but, want to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. And uh, to play devil's advocate, like, not to overshare about my child, but like, I just childhood, but I, be- but like, my parents were very busy people and I was responsible and I got straight A's stu- like straight A's and I had an older brother who was not as responsible and got himself into trouble. Um, and he put me around some of that trouble as a child um, that my parents were never aware of. And I got away with some stuff when I was young as well. So I feel like given the span that this movie took place in, I, I believe that the parents might not be around as much or like be busy or doing yeah. what they're doing because there are certain weeks in my childhood where I'm like, oh, I can't believe all that happened in one week and no one <laughs> knew how. Like, I, I just, I, I was just not stupid about what I did and I maintained good grades and all that to kind of have some of those freedoms. And I feel like in this group of people, they were generally like good in school they weren't troublemakers per se they weren't really doing anything to 
have red flags with their teachers or professors. The parents kind of didn't need to be overly around. And back in the 90s, parents kind of just let kids wander the streets and like ride their bikes and do things a little bit more now. So watching these movies with like, or younger generations watching these movies, it might feel very foreign to them on the way kids behaved, but let's go back in time. And that's kind of what kids behaved. Like they had those luxuries. Mm -hmm. On like they they weren't actively doing drugs in this movie. They weren't. I mean, and and Sydney was clearly okay. Where she was just like, I'm going to show you my boobs. Like if that's really the worst thing she's doing, why would her parents think to be like, oh, right, be afraid of all of this? So my uh, mom's think- dead, Greg. <laughs> I know where and her she's dad at. Is missing, and she doesn't seem to care about that either. We can't get old. Well, I know the dad's that's missing. Fine. But- <laughs> but but as we found out in urban legend you could be on a ski trip with with his bros <laughs> exactly well but but again the the well the mom we clearly knew or else there wouldn't have been a story because yeah. dead. that's the whole point but the dad there was kind of that whole he's going out of town it was already set up and she was in high school my parents went out of town before like especially when i was in high school and they were divorced mm-hmm. like I, they went out of town and I would be on my own for a few days. Like that wasn't weird. That's not a foreign concept to me. Yeah. So I never really questioned anything like that. Stuff I do question is um, the lack of teachers in schools. And this one, a lot of stuff happened mm-hmm. outside of the school. But like when you watch teen movies and kids doing stuff at school, I'm like, no, that would not happen. Like where are the, <laughs> how are kids running on stage doing these theater shows doing x y and z that wouldn't happen but parents not being present as much it's believable unless the kids gave them a reason to need to latch on and like put a leash on them so yeah yeah, yeah anyway. gotcha uh we've got through like okay, but we haven't talked about randy um, um a bit um the i feel seen character for this movie <laughs> at the time um but this is this is this is the, as good as it gets for Jamie Kennedy. Scream and scream like there's there's I can't think of something he did where I'm like oh yeah Jamie Kennedy, <laughs> even though he's still around. Oh he did give us he did give us like the greatest New Year's Eve show of all time. Um, I believe it was the KTLA one from 2013 or something. Look it up. Look up the highlights. Uh, I'm trying to think what he was in with Swartzen when he's it's like a the white boy in Hollywood like. Don't be hating. He just kept saying Wait, that. Wait, he had a TV show, The Jamie Kennedy Experiment. Yes, he did have that. I remember that for some reason. He hunts yeah. UFOs, or he did with uh, Jack Osborne. That was kind of interesting to see. Uh, it was a 2012 into 2013 New Year's Eve special, KDOC, and it is like on-air cussing that happens on accident, and he's talking to... Um, a woman, he's like, he's like, is that they true? He's like, he's like, you know what they say, uh, you know, about um, once you go black, and they're like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know what? He's like, you know what they say about white? And she's like, what? He's like, you'll still be tight. Is like on the air because he's <laughs> drunk as shit. Like everybody, Bone Thugs and Harmony singing uncensored songs. Like it is. Watch the highlights. I watched the whole thing when I heard about it when it first happened. It's a mess and it's beautiful. <laughs> that 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 and the two screams. I'll give Jamie Kennedy. But what about Tremors Five? I he did watch in- Tremors Five and Six, or he's in two of them. He got he got to come back. Yeah, yeah, I'm like 
I'm trying to. I'm looking him up right now. He got just... replaced by John Heater in the in the the last one they did. Malibu's most wanted. Was that was, was it. Of. That was yep. a good one. There we well, go. it was fine. It's like don't be hating. So I, I remember, remember that. Gosh, that's funny. Mm. Tremors five. Tremors five and six. And six. Yep. And then yeah. Then when you're replaced by John Heater, that's uh, oh still just something. Um. And then, okay, Drew Barrymore, did you know she was, like, did it surprise you when she bit it when you saw it the first time in the yeah. opening? Like, I was like, oh, I thought she was going to be in this movie more. I didn't know it. Promote, it was, like, starring Drew Barrymore? Or, I don't remember yeah. the trailer. I guess I have to check it out again. Yeah. Um, I was too young, I think, to really pick up on how significant that moment was, other than knowing... Other than having, other than feeling like I got a complete movie within that like 10 minute scene. Right. Yeah. I didn't really think otherwise about the cultural impact of what that was at the time as an 11 year old, 10 year old. Janet Lee of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been, I would have been 10, 96. So 10, 11. That was, that was my, and yeah, I, I didn't know about marketing and, I think I knew what Psycho was, but I don't think it was. I, I don't think I had seen it gotcha. yet. So, so yeah, I didn't. I didn't. And the poster of her being on it, I don't think I was as aware of what that meant with like a name on a box and all of that. Because wasn't like Drew Barrymore it, because it was Anski Ulrich on the poster. I think it wasn't mm, like Anne yeah. Barrymore. So. I just I don't think I paid enough attention when I first saw it, other than I know people at my elementary school were talking about it. And um, I hadn't seen it yet because some of them got to see it in theaters. And I was really sad. So I like made a big fuss that I could see it. So um, it was more of me wanting to see it to be cool and not for the idea that Drew Barry. I didn't know who Drew Barrymore was, I think, even enough to like say she's a star. I don't. Yeah, I don't think this cast was recognizable enough to me as an old, like 10, 11 year old. This was her coming right out of her bad girl phase. So this like set her off through like a new wave of like wedding singer and like never been kissed and all sorts of stuff. After boys on the side, I think. Or stuff that yeah, because she had done like Poison Ivy and like and she was doing the Letterman thing where she was flashing him and like she was going through her little like bad girl phase and people are like Drew Barrymore, (gasps) oh, (laughs) and uh, and yeah, then this kind of like whoosh a whole new new thing with it and she's oh. and this shows how talented of an actress she mm-hmm. genuinely is yeah she does so much with such a like with one scene that could go off the rails very easily in the wrong hands mm-hmm. uh, like it's written well of course but it could be very gimmicky or it could feel forced or it could feel unnatural and drew Barrymore, you believe every second of it you believe she yep. is this innocent girl who's just at home. And again, back then in the 90s, getting a, a strange phone call like that wouldn't be that off kilter. Like it would have no. been like, this is kind of weird, but like, that's just what happened. Yeah. Um, so not strange to me. Um, and and yeah, not strange to me at all. So she's really a talented actress. And I think I went back and like retroactively learned more about her because of this movie. Gotcha. Um, and found out she was a star, but it wasn't until I was older and actually dove into horror because of this movie that I really learned how much of an impact this movie had. And speaking of again, I got to give kudos to Patrick Lussier, the editing. He This movie cooks like it is a wow. quick watch. Like you're already 
in no time you're at Stu's house with the party. Like, and he does the clever things of the cut, you know, cutting back really well between the delay scenes and stuff. Like he's, yeah, he's really, really good. This movie. Movie. It's an excellent edit. Um, yeah, any kills that stand? What do you think of the kills in Scream? Are they effective? I know Drew Barrymore's is like the difference in the unrated version and the um, the theatrical was they show her insides and Steve's insides a little longer, but that's really that's really the biggest difference of them. Um, which it had an X rating when it first. Really? Um, yeah. Which it never intended to show him that way. Wes Craven always overdoes his gore for the first cut so that he'll get what he actually wants when he cuts it down. So then they'll watch again. Oh, okay, you made the cuts. R. Yeah. So he would always do that with his movies. He would always overdo to excessive degrees so he could get, when he cut the thing he wanted to cut, he'd have no problems. So uh, I think Stu's death was kind of like traumatizing. I don't know why. Maybe it's just funny because it was leading up to it. And then you're like, I kind of thought he was going to get away. Like somehow he would survive because, mm-hmm. you know, Billy's cutting the crap out of him and stabbing him, yeah. making him woozy. But and then, and then the, again, the doggy door thing just like blew my mind. Yeah. yeah. So that I, was I, like, yeah. oh, God, that could happen. That. Not many people. Well, there. this doesn't have a massive kill count when you think of it no. because it all kind of happens all at once so like yeah. i mean really you can only think of like casey's death dog door death and stew with a tv on his head yeah. otherwise they're just kind of like bullet in the head for billy yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i um i mean there's the gutting at the, in the opening scene which doesn't really tell the tale of what the death will look like the rest of the movie no. um but it's kind of the message kills to the rest of the community like i'm a sick motherfucker don't mess with me i will say the thing it does is i was shocked when Sydney gets attacked so early in like a genuine scene, which in the plot of things was never meant, they were never going to kill her in that. They just needed her, they needed Billy to get caught at that scene to take him out of the suspects list. Like they really planned it. However, because of her, her house logistics, I still do this because I have a bathroom door that opens up in front of the garage entry door. Mm -hmm. I always leave it open at night. It's deadlocked, but just in case that deadlock opens, the door is going to jam into the other right. door and no one's going to get in here, Billy, well, whoever. And you know Stu's calling from home or out with uh, Rose McGowan to take him off the list because she goes, what am I doing, huh? What am I doing? And he's not, and you can't, he doesn't say like he does uh, the others. So I, You know what? I never realized, I think I thought about it before, but I couldn't figure out who did what kills. And you can probably mm-hmm. just narrow it down, but. You can, you have, can pretty easily. It's both I mean, of them in the opening scene. Yeah, both definitely did. There is, there is a YouTuber who did a full on like diagram of the house and like actually had like digital markers showing like the path that they each killer would have walked and like ran in order mm-hmm. to like cut off Casey. And I mean, people have spent a lot of time I analyzing. Think, what Billy yeah, Billy like killed him. Tatum, right? Billy, oh. yes. Bill, Billy yeah, kills uh, Tatum. Oh, so Stu would have killed the new Stu, boyfriend. Stu kills, well, Tatum in the garage, that's Billy. And then Stu, I think, is the the news van guy and Billy. Yep. And Steve on the patio, right? Steve or whatever the, Casey's boyfriend was. I don't know who's doing what there because they're both at the door. Because remember, well, I don't know who's at the patio. Because remember, what door am I at? They're both at a door. Mm-hmm. So no yeah. matter which one she picks, he's going to be there. Right. So I I can't tell the first one, but I think that's how it goes. I don't know who stabs. I think Stu stabs Dewey. 
Oh, wait, you know what? The the, the way you're supposed to determine it is um, you, who does what is based on how they handle the knife because both killers do different things with their knife after mm. a kill. And that is the tell. And Stu always, Stu was the wiping of the blood off. Oh. Which carries on through every movie. That's like Which, the same. Well, they focus. do. Well, no, but that's the, that's the nod to that. But the, the original movie, I do remember seeing mm. something where both, um, but if you notice in every movie though, the ghost face, except for the third one, um, the, the, the two ghost face always do something different, um, okay. whether it's repeating what Stu did mm-hmm. or an alternative one, but they, you can figure out who the kill, like who does what based on, you don't know necessarily who's doing the wiping or doing the other, but you know that like, it's a different killer based on how they do the nice thing. This is how ADHD I am. Even when I watch it, I'm trying to pay attention to those things. I just get uh, into the movie and I forget what I'm even paying attention for. Oh crap. What happened? Mm. I do love in scream five, the fifth one, uh, when we get there, like how they shoot the two killers is awesome that I like. Cause it, it does stuff that scream four should have done, but didn't. But they 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 know now in five to do stuff. But we'll I guess we'll get there. Yeah, and Scream Four does some other things that are kind of genius. To be fair, like mm-hmm. they may have lacked in that, but they did some genius stuff in Four that I've only picked up on. The more I appreciate what they did in Four. Gotcha. Anyways, but we don't. We're not. There yes, yet. we're not there yet. So uh, yeah, one thing. Talk. One thing I want to bring up before we end with all these, the soundtrack. Scream always has killer soundtracks or whatever have um the main song that gets introduced here and carries on is red right hand by nick cave and the bad seeds yes i love it love it love it i remember i started watching peaky blinders i'm like why do i know this song why do i know this song and uh it's because it's been in my head since i was a freaking kid last year's lost city with sandra bullock uh brad pitt scene where he goes sneaking around that base is that same song uh the old classic jam uh schools out by alice cooper's in here um they have drop dead gorgeous by republica you remember baby i'm ready to go well they had a song and scream (laughs) wasn't just baby yeah so uh moby has a song called first cool hive uh, Youth of America by Bird Brain, and then over the credits, uh, Whisper to a Scream Soho is our first roll call credits. I love the roll call credits with Scream. It's like, hey, we're okay. Remember, we had fun. Yeah. I got killed. <laughs> I got killed. I was the killer. Like, I love, I love the roll call. Uh, it's not Scream without the roll call. It's the best thing to have those in the credits. So mm. definitely, but yeah, Scream. I still, yeah, it it holds up. I know this era starts here and it lives long enough to see it become the enemy because this is what people were liking with horror they were going to these and then all of a sudden they didn't like them and then when the remake craze and the j horror and the saw like they call it torture porn it's really not fucking torture porn folks it's a bad term for that but um it would get kind of like oh i'm glad we're out of that but it's like people were kind of liking it too but i guess everything has to evolve somehow but there was like a harsh blowback on it that i don't think was necessary and i don't it's like no it's just we needed to move on to something it wasn't that people weren't liking it but um people don't like clever things sometimes as i've found uh but yeah so that'll do um the scream uh we'll put we'll put a bullet to the head head dewey head <laughs> Uh, for this entry in the Scream franchise, till next time, where can people find you at, Greg? You can find me on all social media platforms at The McGoonies. So 
there you go. I mostly use Instagram. Um, and but you can try to message me on any platform and I'll eventually get to it. All right, Jessica. Uh, on Instagram at Jessica Alsman and Twitter at Jay and Alsman. And I'm going to share my photos that I had with Nev Campbell, Mr. Skeet. Is it Ulrich? Ulrich. 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 I think Ulrich. Ulrich. Yeah, Ulrich. And uh, yeah, it was Nev Skeet and Matthew Lillard. And the first time I actually got to get a picture with Matthew Lillard, I did not smile good. Does that make sense? I freaked yes. out. I was a little kid, just like. Yeah. You, need, you needed that retakes on picture day. It was ridiculous. Excellent, excellent. Okay, uh, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BraveWorkUHD, written work at YSOBlue.com. Um, next time, we move on to 1997 Scream 2, which my personal favorite of them. So, till then, stay from positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs>